What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast. This is for UFC Jacksonville. Of course, I am Jason Foy. That is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. here to break down this fight card. It takes place tomorrow. Well, technically, it starts in the morning time. Uh, first fight, uh, well, was supposed to be 1130. I'm guessing it's probably going to get moved to noon. Main card, 3 o'clock there on ABC. So you got to make sure you get up bright early tomorrow. Make sure your lineups are all set. We're going to break this one down for you. We'll break down all the fights. Of course, we do have our contest over there on DraftKings. So you can sign up there. It's right in the in the description below. And uh, congratulations to last week's winner, Jen Holloway, 30, to, had 517 points, Pete, and had two losing fighters in his lineup and still got 500 points and did not have Jerry Cannonier, who absolutely smashed the slate last week. Pete, like if I would have sat here last Friday and go, hey, Pete, here's my hot take. There's going to be four takedowns in the main event by one fighter and it's Jared Cannonier. You would have said, Jason, you lost your goddamn mind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at the the performance was ridiculous for Cannonier. I mean, the output, he quadrupled, tripled his his output of norm. Um, you know, he he said that he wanted to to change that because in the past he was a little gun shy. And he went out there and volume and effectiveness were just like met Vittori's face for 25 straight minutes. And, uh, you know, it looked good early for Vittori, but man, oh man, that was a significant letdown performance for for Vittori, but also a massive, you know, just achievement for Jared Cannonier and, and proving that he's one of the best fighters within the division for sure. I, I love what Jared Cannonier said to the media after his fight was over because they, they brought up the potential of fighting Hamza Chimaev, and he's like, is that getting me to a title shot? I was like, I love it. It's the right way to answer the question. I mean, obviously, it has the ability to profile him up there, but uh, congratulations to uh, you know Gene Holloway, 30, winning it last week. And, of course, uh, be sure to get in that contest this week. $10 entry fee, top three price places do pay out. Of course, uh, always uh, great to talk the fight game with Pete. Pete, when we talk about game theory, I, I feel like there are two fights on this slate tomorrow that are probably fights that we have to prioritize, one of them being the heavyweight matchup uh, of Tafa and Lane. And to me, I hate to say it, I think the first fight at night is a priority fight, Pete. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Those are two fights that I'm going to be prioritizing within my lineups. And then, of course, the 8,200, 8,000 fight is another fight where it's like, you know, week in and week out. It's very difficult to get away from because of the price point. Never mind when you have super volatility on both sides with Trevor Peak and, and Mariscal. So, um, I, I'm definitely going to be creating a group. There's a couple of fights that we're going to break down and get into as far as like untrustworthy candidates, who has ceiling potential, uh, who has takedown potential, who has early finish potential. And that's basically how you should create your lineups. I mean, having an underdog squeaking out a decision, scoring 60, 70 points is fine. And it can truly lead you to an optimal lineup if, if, if of course, that fighter is super, super cheap. But more often than not, we want to chase that 100 points from each performer. And Ryan, appreciate you joining the show here. Of course, we'll talk about that main event here in a moment. And I will tell you, there is one fighter in particular I have circled for Takedown City. I can't wait to hear it. I don't think it's, it's going to come as a huge surprise. I don't think it comes as a huge surprise uh, for you. But we'll get into that. But let's get right in to our main event. Ilya Taporia taking on Josh Emmett. Ilya Taporia, a sizable betting favorite in this one. Minus 340, plus 274, Josh Emmett. Uh, Taporia, 9500 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. For Emmett, he is 6700 on DK, $12 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a fight. I, I really like the fight. Um, I love the 
potential for, for both guys to go out there and look good. Um, Ilya Teporia has really broken onto the scene. Um, regionally, I, I was excited when he you know, made that step into the octagon and, and fought against, at that time, a tough out in Yusuf Salal, put together a nice performance, 78-point performance, uh, really relied on his takedowns in there to secure a safe victory, went 5 of 9 in the takedown department. And then following that, we've seen him go on an absolute finishing tear with finishes over Damon Jackson, Ryan Hall, Jai Herbert, and most recently Bryce Mitchell. And the Mitchell one is is quite interesting because it was via submission. And we know Bryce Mitchell is just a fantastic grappler and wrestler in his own right. But we know that Ilya Teporia has that Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt in his back pocket that he can you know put on display whenever he needs to rely on that. Um, outside of that, not many people are going to want to strike with this gentleman. I do think that Josh Emmett's going to be okay with striking with him. Um, the issue is that Josh Emmett, you know, in the past was a, a solid wrestler and used his wrestling to keep the fight on the feet. Or if he got in trouble, started to mix in takedowns. Uh, he has gone to the takedown well in his own right against Scott Holtzman. He went eight of 12 in the takedown department. That was back in 2016. So we're talking some time ago, but since then he's fallen in love with the power in his hands. And how can you blame him? He has some of the most electrifying power within the featherweight division. Whereas Ilya Teporia, you know, at the moment is still somewhat unproven. I like him a lot. I have him circled. I think that championship aspirations are clearly ahead um, or at least contending for the title. I'm going to side with Ilya Tapori here at 9,500. I don't hate the dog shot of Josh Emmett. He's able to go out there and uh, just be tough enough to possibly go five rounds. But when you lose to Yair Rodriguez via submission after absorbing so many strikes, I can understand the line movement and just where the odds are at currently for Ilya Teporia being almost a four to one favorite. It makes sense. I like Teporia to win inside the distance here at 9,500. I think he's a strong target for DraftKings. And uh, I'm going to prioritize this fight just because I love it. And I don't want to be on the outside looking in um, uh, when, when the main event is is kicking off. So give me Ilya Teporia here at 9,500. Don't hate the absolute dog shot on Josh Emmett in case you think it goes Beyond three rounds, he could possibly score enough within a loss, but uh, I think that you're just going to need all winners this week, and Taporia is going to win this fight. You know, when I first started kind of looking at this fight card and I saw what the betting line was, I was a little surprised. I was like, man, I mean, Taporia yeah. clearly should be the favorite, no question, but this is the biggest fight he's had in his career. You talk about, you know, and he's been given a, a gradual step up in competition, but this is a massive step in competition where you're talking about, you know, now taking on a guy who just fought for the interim title here. There's a 10-year age difference here. Um, it, it When I was building cash lineups, hand-building cash mm-hmm. lineups, I, I look at that price tag of Josh Emmett and it's very hard for me to go, man, if this thing can last three or four rounds, how, how do you avoid it? That was kind of uh, my right. thought over there. Uh, a couple of comments get in here. Uh, CA premium says Emmett's injury might mean his wrestling isn't quite as good now. Um, Noah, I get your question about uh, the PFL. We'll, we'll get to that towards the end of the show here. But uh, I mean, look, Taporia. I mean, everyone loves him here. Um, you know, looking at what the projected ownership is on this matchup, I, I you know, if I'm playing a twenty max, which is something I, I like to do, I, I probably want to get you know, probably I think I'd probably be in the fifteen ish range on Josh Emmett. I, I don't know if I would be getting more than thirty five percent Ilya Tapor. It, it just would be a price thing for me. Yeah, so when you're in a small contest like that, you, for me, I think it's tough to be kind of teetering on the fence with both guys. I, I think that you're probably better off in a small contest, a 20 max. 
of just picking one side and getting aggressive rather than trying to be super balanced. Um, I, it makes sense, right? But like sometimes if you can just have one and a half times as many Emmett, I mean, uh, one and a half times as many Toporia lineups as the field in that 20 max, it might work out better for you. Um, especially if you really think and have a gut feeling that he's going to do enough. It's just give your option, give yourself more opportunities to take down that tournament and uh, get aggressive in the smaller contests. The 150 is where I, you know, you can't get rid of Emmett. You have to double his mm-hmm. exposure, get the 15, as you're saying. Um, I don't hate what you're saying at all. I, I totally agree with it. You know me. I just, I'm super risky. <laughs> Oh, I, I know you are. I know you are. Uh, a comment about fading the co-main event. So let's get right into the co-main event. A female matchup here. We got Amanda Hebos taking on Macy Barber. Amanda Hebos is a two to one betting favorite, plus one seventy for Macy Barber. Uh, Eight nine hundred on DK for Hebos. Nineteen dollars on Fanduel and for Macy Barber, she's seventy three hundred on DK and twelve dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, I'm a little interested in this fight. Um... You know, it's it's crazy. Amanda Hebos really performs like surprisingly well DFS wise. Um, you know, most recently picking up the win over Araujo, scoring 115. Uh, she threw 183 significant strikes, landed 98. Uh, had two of two takedowns, but the control time is what really boosted her total. Um, eight minutes and 20 seconds of control time. So, and that's against a very talented grappler in Viviana Araujo. Uh, Ujo likes to strike, but she is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well. So I was extremely um, interested going forward in Amanda Hibas's ceiling. I think for the most part, she's a very solid fighter. Uh, her only Achilles heel is that chin question, where at times she can get rocked and knocked out. We have seen it in the past. And Macy Barber, if there's anything to say about her, she does throw with some pretty big power. Uh, early on in her UFC tenure, she was on a three-fight win streak, three-fight KO streak over Hannah Cyphers, J.J. Aldrich, and Jillian Robertson. You know, the Robertson-Aldrich performances, I think that they they hold some merit for me. Um, the Hannah Cyphers one, not so much. The issue with Macy Barber, she's always in a close fight and arguably losing some of these decisions that she's been, been gifted. So uh, I don't trust the takedown defense. I definitely don't trust the the uh, fight IQ of Macy Barber, but I have to tell you that like it's women's MMA and yes, she squeaked out several split decision victories over Andrea Lee and both Miranda Maverick, but like she does have dynamite in her hands. And if he boss doesn't go to the takedown, well, she could get hit with a combination and, and knocked out. I think it's a low chance that that happens. So I'm going to be going with Amanda he to win a decision here at 8,900. Do I fade it or not? That's the question because I just feel like Macy Barber doesn't show the best fight IQ, which could lead to more opportunities for Hebos to control her, pick up more takedowns. I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to fade the fight. Uh, I'm going to get to Hebos at 8,900. Um, I might be a little underweight to it, but I'm definitely not going to fade it. This is one of those fights that where, you know, and we talked about this theory last week of finding fights that are not getting – big total ownership you know and, and for me typically I'm, I'm trying to find fights that are a combined ownership 40 percent. So, so let's just say hypothetically both are 20 on each side that yep. to me is where when you're playing in these bigger fields that's where you got to look at some of these fights that are not getting a lot of ownership and say you know what okay this is a way to get me leverage but 
I also look at this fight and I think it's probably going 15 minutes. And, you know, even, you know, I, I like Amanda Hebos to win this matchup, but it's like, okay, at 8900 on DK, what's the path to her getting 100 points? And, and I just feel like I'm going to transition to other fighters, even though I do think there is a, a leverage spot here on this fight. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, kind of touching on last week, Jason hit the nail on the head talking about certain fights that were going under-owned. Modestus Bukowskis and Zach Palga was one of them uh, to kick off the fight card. And Zach Palga got robbed. Like, Palga won that fight, in my opinion. And, like, <laughs> it was at, at his price point, like, I had so much Palga that it would have made the landscape of the slate so so different. Um, but Palga, you know, still, it was just a decision. But even just the decision can be enough, especially at that bottom of the barrel, 7,000 price tag when you have low ownership. So, you know, you could do worse than a 7,300 Macy Barber. Bro, last week, I you, you talk about a frustrating start to that fight card. The yeah. judge who scored that fight 30-27 do not know what the hell fight they yeah. were watching. Like, yeah, how exactly. anyone scored the second round for Modesto Sukakis, I don't understand. I Like, a 29-28 scorecard for Modestus, I'm not okay. – I'm not – I have no issues with that because I really thought that Zach took off the last 90 seconds of that fight because he kept yeah. looking up at the clock and I was like, oh, that's not a good sign. And and to me, I think that's what won Modestus the third round of the judges' scorecards because he was the guy you know, trying to do things. Then you had the Keith Peterson situation where Ronnie Lawrence does not tap, very clearly does not tap. And I, you know, in my hand builds, Argetta was a huge part of me. So I was like, at that point, I'm like, F this card. I forgot that <laughs> happened. Yeah, I mean, that was a weird situation, right? Like, he's trying to do the right thing, make sure the guy's not unconscious, pulls the arm, which results in the tap. It didn't look good for Ronnie Lawrence. And his hand was raised like he was going to tap. Argetta was destroying him. But it's still an MMA fight. Anything can happen. But uh, Peterson knew he screwed up. And I, I, I think Peterson, you know, has made some bad decisions, as every referee has. But at least he was able to own up to it. And, uh, you know, they got it right, you know, unfortunately, it being a no contest. But, uh, yeah, last week was strange. But with all that being said, make sure that you guys are targeting some of these under-owned fights because anything can happen. Last week's slate is a perfect example of that where certain weird things happen. And now you have all this, all this ownership just completely ruining the slate. And if you pivoted away from it, you're going to you know, set yourself up extremely well. I uh, mentioned a question that's related to the main event, co-main event from Ryan. He says, for single entry on DraftKings, would you prioritize the main or co-main field size is 1,200? Um, I don't think it'd be at the top of my priority list. I just think there, there's other there's other fights I would prioritize much more than before I decide whether I put a main event or co-main event firing. But it is I, I think if I was going to prioritize either main event or co-main event, it would be the main event. So I view things two different ways, and I have to start leaning back on confident plays because last week, right, like the free square, in my opinion, and everybody's opinion was Armin Sarukian. I didn't think he looked good. I, I didn't think he looked good at all. Um, but with him in your in your mind being one of the most confident plays out there, sometimes just take the points and move on. And like, where does your confidence lie with some of these other fighters? My confidence with Ilya Taporia is pretty high, so I'm going to prioritize the main event that he's going to going to do well. Could other fighters outscore him all day long? Right, mm -hmm. but like 
it's kind of difficult to predict those things. Whereas I would much rather lie with, you know, confident plays and, uh, you know, volatile fights is one thing when using a crunching device, that's great when you can really just pick the groups and all of that. But if you're just in a small field, pick confident plays. If you like to pour you back them, I like to pour you. Yeah, no, I get you there. Now, the next fight to me is a, a fight you have to prioritize. And, well, you're probably not going to feel great about it because this is the the lower end of the UFC heavyweight division of Justin Taffa and Austin Lane. Justin Taffa, a minus 175 betting fair, plus 150 for Austin Lane. Of course, Austin Lane from Jacksonville, uh, you know, play in the NFL, does, does radio there in Jacksonville. Taffa, 8800 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. Austin Lane on the other side, he is 7400 on DK and $14 on FanDuel, Pete. Oh man, I don't want to do it this week, but I think I got to do it. Um, I will tell you that I've been picking against Tafe a lot within his UFC career, just because I see a he's got the Mark Hunt ability about him. Hits people really, really hard. Walk away KOs, flatlines people, dynamite in his hands. Um, was knocked out against Jorgen De Castro. We've seen what Jorgen's done since his UFC tenure, and it hasn't been anything great. Um, and then he's also lost decisions to Carlos Felipe and Jared Vandera. Two fighters that like Felipe's okay. You know, Felipe has some hands, but Jared Vandera is a bad look. And he got walked down and marched down and just out volume the entire time. And his power was, was, was nothing in that fight, but he turned, he, you know, came back and, and put together strong performances over Harry Hunsucker and Parker Porter first round knockouts. He's always live for a first round KO, but it's a low volume first round KO. Unless he picks up multiple knockdowns, you're going to have that one shot that ends it. Uh, it's not going to be a high volume, high scoring Justin Taffa. So if he's priced low, 8,000 pick them range, I, I could see why he's a priority. Up here towards 9,000, he can still score well, 100 plus, probably not more than 110 unless it's a quick win bonus. But I just think that his ceiling somewhat capped just because of his low volume. And he, he waits for the perfect counter shot or he'll go out there and just try to find that one missile left hand. I'm going to be different here today, Jason. I, I am. You know, I've picked against Justin Toff in the past. He's ruined a lot of things for me. Um, I think the best way to, to, to pick this fight is probably just going the under. That's not telling you guys much. Um, but it's low-level heavyweights. I still consider Justin Toff a low-level heavyweight. I don't like how Austin Lane has been knocked out multiple times, getting knocked out to Greg Hardy's not a good look. Um, but at a point, Greg Hardy is athletic. And if Austin Lane can make this a little bit ugly against the cage, possibly worked, work in some takedowns, it is heavyweight. It doesn't take much if you get somebody down, but getting that first, you know, go for a single leg. Make Justin Taffa work on his balance. Um, trying to just shoot for a double is probably not going to happen against a strong Justin Taffa. Or just land your own strikes while Toffa throws super, super wide. So I'm going to just side with the volatility here. I'm going to prioritize the fight. Justin Toffa is a solid pick. But if you're really making me pick a guy with zero ownership, I'm going to go with Austin Lane here. Austin Lane to pull off the upset in his hometown. 7,400, Austin Lane. I mean, the one thing to, to look at is Austin Lane does have a six-inch reach advantage in this one. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this. You know, when you look at kind of the the strength of competition for Austin Lane, it's, it's a little concerning to me. 
um, in, in terms of some of the guys that he fought. So like, like to me, I like Justin Taffa in this spot. I'm, I'm not, I'm not on an Austin Lane kick here. I mean, I would, I would say this. There's three plays over at Price Picks that I like this week, and I like the under four and a half fight time minutes on this matchup. I, I don't think this thing gets out of the first round. You know, a this fight's on the main card because a uh, Lane is is you know a resident of Jacksonville, and the other is I think they know that this fight's not going to go very long. And um, but it, it's one of those things, and we probably talk about this more weeks than not. Is that you? There are fights you're going to have to prioritize, but you don't feel good about it. And and this is just one of those fights for me. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I have to tell you, if we had other underdogs that I felt confident in, like if I I had a ton of confident underdogs, I'm probably not picking lane here. But like there's a lot of fighters that I could see paths to victory, but I'm not confident enough to pick them. So why not just go back to my thinking of, you know, what weight classes are untrustworthy, in my opinion, where is their athleticism? Where do we see, you know, upsets more often? And it's pointing me to Austin Lane in the heavyweight division. So on a normal card, I'm probably not picking them. But, you know, given the landscape of this slate, I'm going to go Austin Lane to pull off the upset. Yeah, to me, I'm, I'll be on the other side of it, but uh, don't don't feel good. Don't feel good about picking either one of these guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I gave Pete some kudos last week for his Nicholas Dalby call. Good good call on that one. That was a uh, that was a nice one there for you. I just, uh, I just blocked him in. You know, like oh. he didn't score the best, but like when you had all that other weird stuff happen between you know uh, Lawrence and Argetta and just you know just just a strange you know mm-hmm. card that it was. Just getting aggressive on an underdog you feel confident in. Dolby, Dolby look good. Yeah, no doubt about it. Next up, we got a matchup between Gabriel Santos and David Onama. Gabriel Santos a minus two thirty betting favorite, plus one ninety four Onama. Santos is ninety two hundred on DK, twenty one dollars on Fanduel. Onama seven dollars, uh, seven seven thousand dollars on DK, and nine dollars on Fanduel. And Pete, this is my takedown city fight of the week. Okay, I I like it. And are you siding with Gabriel Santos? Yes. Okay. 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 Uh, because I tell you what, this is where reading the card, not watching film, I'm like, they got Onama as an underdog. Man, I'm interested. And then I start going through and I'm trying to convince myself of these underdogs and their paths to victory. Onama's excellent, right? Like he's a really, really good fighter, has good hands, um, good striking. He's a solid, solid prospect. And the way that he debuted against Mason Jones. Mason Jones at that time was one of the bi- biggest prospects um, in the sport in the, within the division. So I was like, wow, Mason Jones, lightweight division prospect, and he looked damn good. It was a really, really close fight. You know, fast forward, and Mason Jones super flopped within his UFC career. So then we have David Onama training under James Krause, putting together nice finishing performances over Gabriel Benitez and Garrett Armfield. And then you have, you know, the the issue with with Krause and Gloria MMA and, and that now – losing a fight to Nate Landwehr where he looked good early, almost looked like he had him out of there. Um, but the the one Achilles heel that David Onama has is his cardio. It seems like it kind of drops off a cliff. And, you know, he will defend some takedowns, but he will get taken down. He'll work back to his feet. What that can do is it can really boost the totals of his opponents. Gabriel Santos is fantastic. Debuting against Lerone Murphy on short notice is uh, is very difficult. And he arguably won that fight, attempted 11 takedowns, you know, uh, landed five of them, had four minutes of control time. His striking's aggressive. He bites down on the mouthpiece. He gets in your face. This guy is a prospect to watch. Now, you can make a case for David Onama to, 
spoil the return fight of Gabriel Santos here. You definitely can. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC, fought some levels of competition, acclimated to the UFC, fought Nate Landwehr. Nate Landwehr just dropped the decision to uh, Dan Ige, and, and it was very, very decisive. Um, I really think that Gabriel Santos – I was compelled because of the line – but now after looking at the fight film and everything going forward, I think that we're going to see an even better Gabriel Santos who looks to be in fantastic shape. And I'm with you when it comes to takedown city, that's the way to be David Onama. Don't just stand and strike. You can mix it in, but uh, tax that gas tank. And then I think you can get him out of there. Gabriel Santos, strong 9,000 play at 9,200 David Onama. Don't hate it because of his early round skills, but uh, in a 15 minute fight, I'm going to be going Gabriel Santos. Yeah, and I think that he could just smash takedowns. And to note on David Onama, now training at Factory X, um, you know, when you look at kind of what's happened with all these these glory MMA fitness fighters, you know, they, they've a lot of them have kind of gone to the same type of places. Factory X has been one of those places. Uh, the lab has been a, another place that they've gone to. Um, and, and if you've not seen, Grant Dawson did an interview with MMA Junkie where uh, basically he said, he goes, if there were cameras around glory, you could have been a great reality show, which oh boy, people. I think people know. I think people Damn. know why people are saying that. <laughs> Damn, Dawson. Um, yeah, that's that is funny, but yeah, I'm with you, man. Like I, I like Factory X, David Onama. I think that he's very skilled. That's why he's a solid underdog to target. Initially, my read was this is. This is Onama. And then I watched film and I realized, no, it, it's going to be Gabriel Santos to win a very decisive victory here. Yeah. And, and Gabriel Santos's takedown prop over prize picks is three. I like the more. I, it, it would, no, it's clearly a more play to me. It's just not one of my more favorite plays over there this week. And, you know, and, and for people who want to play over prize picks, the, the thing that I recommend is I, I know going after these five legs is, you know, where that money's at. But sometimes only doing a two or three legger is where really you can be, make a profit over on prize picks because, especially in May, hitting five props in MMA is just not an easy thing to do. Next up, we got a match between Brandon Allen and Bruno Silva. Brandon Allen is a two-to-one betting favorite, plus 170 for Bruno Silva. Allen, 9,100 on DK, $18 on FanDuel. Bruno Silva, 7,100 on DK and 14 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, let me tell you that this is an interesting fight. Um, Brendan Allen, I love his price tag at 9,100. I love what he brings to the table in this matchup if he fights a true MMA fight. If he goes out there and kickboxes against Bruno Silva, I think he can – you know, pick apart Silva, but the, I just don't trust the durability of Brendan Allen nor the fight IQ at times. Um, Make some some poor decisions and ends up getting hurt on the feet. This is the exact fighter that Brendan Allen loses to, and it's a guy that possesses very strong power. Chris Curtis did so. Strong, Sean Strickland did so. Um, But, like, as far as tec- technically, he's clearly the better fighter than Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva is a takedown liability. Um, Brennan Allen should be able to smash and, and take him down however he wants. I like Brennan Allen here at 9,100. I think that his, he's really hitting his stride Four fight win streak, Sam Alvey, Jacob Malcoon, who I'm high on. And that was a very close fight. Um, Christoph Jocko and Andre Muniz submitting Muniz and Jocko back to back is super impressive of what his ground game is. And the way I love his, his style is because he incorporates ground and pound to set up submissions or submissions to set up better positions. And I really, really like Brendan Allen's game at 9,100. Um, I think that Bruno Silva's, 
you know, liable to, to get taken down a handful of times, submitted or finished as the fight goes on. Silva looks to be in good shape. Um, as far as the fight being on the feet, I think Bruno Silva has that dynamite in his in his hands. So you can't count him out. Uh, against Andrew Sanchez, he was taken down and was just ragdolled at times. And then in the third round, he was able to pull from the jaws of the feet and uh, just just you know land a nice combination and get him out of there. I, I trust Brendan Allen to go out there and put together a very strong performance. But as far as like early round finishers or KO or a bust, Bruno Silva is one of the guys to to circle and get more exposure to than the field, just be given his upside. Uh, but yeah, I, I like Brendan Allen to smash in this spot. I agree with everything you said there. And one of my confident plays over on prize picks is the over one half takedowns on, on Brennan Allen. I, I just think that it, the reality is, I think he, he can probably score at least one takedown every round. So I think he should be able to smash that spot. But you bring up a great point. You, you got to be, if you are siding heavy with Brennan Allen, the fear has got to be is that Bruno Silva, who, I mean, let's, I mean, when he's fighting in Russia, he was taking on all, all the top Russian fighters. And yeah. so he's a guy that definitely to be looking for. Next up, we got Neil Magny taking on Phil Rowe. Neil Magny is a minus 170 betting favorite, plus 145 for Phil Rowe. Magny is 8500 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. For Phil Rowe, he's 7700 on DK, $14 on FanDuel, Pete. Oh, man. I really want to pick Phil Rowe. And I got to tell you, it's like it's a little bit of bias on my behalf, and it's because Phil Rowe works with one of my striking coaches um, and, and crew Dom that I met out in New Mexico. And I know that Phil Rowe possesses so many skills and He's so he's very liable. He, he he can definitely get a knockout. Uh, the issue is that Neil Magny, for the most part, is pretty durable. And Neil Magny doesn't just strike from the outside. He will. He'll out volume you like crazy. But he'll also you know clinch up with you, dirty box with you, mix in takedowns. And you know I I just don't trust the takedown defense of Phil Rowe. I have to be honest. And you know I think that Neil Magny, he goes out there and he attempts ten plus takedowns several times and if he lands half of them or a quarter of them he's getting a ton of control time i mean look what he did to jeff neal three round decision attempted uh, 10 takedowns had you know landed two of them did enough to win a decision against a very dangerous jeff neal who possesses more power than phil rowe phil rowe and neil magny i think it's going to be a mirror match they're both long for the division they both possess volume um i would probably edge the power to phil rowe in the finishing upside the phil rowe but this is a veteran who has the most wins in welterweight history and Neil Magny. It's quite amazing to be honest. And you know, this, this is a massive step up in competition for Phil Rowe. I think that he can rise to the occasion. I'm rooting for him like crazy. It's one of my, my striking coaches guys. So I'm going to be, you know, getting to more exposure to Phil Rowe than, than probably the public, but you know, Phil Rowe at times is losing some of his fights and then comes back and, and wins. I just don't I think it might be too little too late in a matchup against Neil Magny whereas Neil Magny is 20 and 9 in the UFC price at 8500 I think in a very very good spot to pick up a uh, a good score at 8500 so I'll be picking Neil Magny but I'll be rooting for Phil Rowe 
Yeah, this is one of those fights that I, I've really been looking at Phil Rowe all week long, and I think he is going to be my pick here. But, I mean, Neil Magny, these are these are typically the fights that he just shines in. I mean, Neil Magny, I mean, this is a veteran. I mean, all capital letters, a, a UFC veteran here. Uh, but I kind of like Phil Rowe, and, and this is kind of one of those fights where Neil Magny doesn't have that huge reach advantage like he does have in a lot of his matchups. Next up, we got Randy Brown taking on Wellington Thurman. Randy Brown is a minus 230 betting fair, plus 190 for Wellington Thurman. Brown, 9300 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. Thurman, $6,900 on DK, $9 on FanDuel. And Thurman did make weight today as he's dropping down to 170 pounds. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be so strong for this division. Um, you know, he's he's going to look to incorporate his strong wrestling as he does every, every fight. I mean, going back and looking at his career in the middleweight division, attempted seven takedowns against Carl Roberson, landed four. Nine takedowns against Marcus Perez, landed two. 10 takedowns against Bruno Silva before he got KO'd. He attempted 10 takedowns in round one. That is absolutely absurd before he got knocked out. Um, and he didn't land any of them. So you know what he's going to go out there and try to do. Do you believe in Randy Brown's skills? I do. I, I like Randy Brown a lot. I like him here at 9,300. I don't like the welterweight experiment that Wellington Terman is looking to do. I understand it. You've fallen on hard times. You're three and four in the UFC. You think that you're going to be a massive, massive welterweight, and you are. But it's going to come at a cost, and I think that cost is going to result in poor cardio and even worse chin than we've seen in the past. And when you're going up against a guy with a massive, massive reach in Randy Brown, who's so, so talented with the strikes, with even submissions, he's very, very good. Um, and his loss to Jack Della Maddalena, I think this is a recency. Like, If you're backing Wellington Terman, you're, you're just believing that Randy Brown is a fraud, and that Terman can take him down and, and submit him. Well, Terman inside the UFC only has submitted one person. It's Misha Serkinov, and you know Serkinov, in my opinion, is super untrustworthy. So I'm not going to be backing Wellington Terman here at 6,900. Yes, he can land takedowns. He could possibly do enough in a loss. But if every, you know, we, we might not need a losing fighter. We might need all winners. And I think that Randy Brown can even get Wellington Terman out of there with a massive score. So, so give me Randy Brown here at 9,300. Bring up a question I got uh, dropped in the chat from Kevin. He goes, Thurman Brown seems like an easy fade for GPPs, at least a Brown fade with some Thurman maybe. I mean, uh, here here's my concern with Wellington Thurman is what happens if this fight gets into the second, third round? What does he look like at 170? And like I, I was watching this clip of, it was this interaction between Conor McGregor and, and Stephen Thompson on, on The Ultimate Fighter. And, and Connor brings up a, a, a very interesting point where he's talking about as we are a sport, as fighters get older, they tend to go down in weight as opposed to go up in weight. And sometimes, yeah, going down a weight class can be very beneficial, but sometimes we see guys move down a weight class and they, they don't get the benefits they thought they were going to get. Yeah, I say it all the time, right? Like we saw Frankie Edgar look to, you know, go to bantam weight. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't like that at all. We, we've seen – other fighters look to do the same thing. And to me, it's like desperate measures. So um, could it work out? Sure. But I, I don't think that he's going to have the best gas tank, never mind a good chin. And Randy Brown's, it's not like he's in an easy fight against a debuting fighter. It's not like this is like a, uh, you know, welcoming somebody to the UFC and, you know, you're going to be a, in a gatekeeping type of performance. You're going up against a guy who is on his way to possibly challenging for the belt. I mean, he's, 
had was on a four fight win streak over Alex Oliveira, Jared Gooden, Chaos Williams, and Trinaldo. So, and then he just lost to Jack Della Maddalena. So, I think this is a nice turnaround fight for Randy Brown, and I think he's going to get right here. Next up, we got a matchup where one of the fighters missed weight earlier today. And of course, Rebecca didn't make weight, but Rosboff did miss weight, weighing in at 157.25. The fight will go forward as a catchweight matchup. So Rebecca is a minus 155 uh, betting favorite, plus 130 for Rosboff. Uh, Rebecca, 8400 on TK, $16 on FanDuel. And for Rosboff, 7800 on DK, $15 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I'm interested in this fight, to be honest. And, um, you know, I'm not the biggest Rebecca guy I'm just not and I, I think that what I saw against Nick Fiore makes me want to fade him in certain matchups going forward now is this the matchup to do it that's kind of what I've been scratching my head at you know I, I think that scoring 104 against Rebecca uh, against Nick Fiore is solid but watching what Chase Hooper did to Nick Fiore it's like all right well <laughs> yeah. that wasn't really that impressive and Nick Fiore was you know a guy known to have good grappling pedigree um, and, and good finishes against weak regional competition. Uh, but Rebecca had th- went three or four in the takedown department, eight minutes of control time. I think if you put him up against somebody who's a true grinder and who's going to, you know, attempt takedowns, make him defend, make him work, uh, defend his own takedowns, he kind of looks like a gasser to me. And he really does look like a gasser to me. And I know that Loik Rajabov is is a gasser in his own right, but I think that he's a gasser because of his work rate. What I see from Rebecca is a guy who's just able to find finishes all the time. And then I feel like there's going to be a time when he meets his match and he's unable to get a finish. He he wasn't able to finish Nick Fiore, right? But look at where Nick Fiore is. I, I think that you know Rajabov is clearly above Fiore, and I think that Rajabov can you know, make Rebecca work constantly. I mean, against Esteban Rebovich, we felt we saw Loic Rajabov attempt 21 takedowns. 21 is absurd. He landed 11 of them, had almost eight minutes of control time, but that work rate can really tax somebody. And I don't know. I'm going to be different than everybody this week. I'm going to be going with Loic Rajabov here. I, I think that Rajabov is a strong takedown candidate and, you know, his previous box score is going to make him, you know, popular. Uh, scoring 120 in that matchup is ridiculous. I think that he's going to win a decision here against Rebeski. Um, he hits really hard as well, has fought some str- you know strong competition. This is a great fight. I just don't trust that Rebeki's power and his grappling offense is always going to get it done for him. I, I think that there are some holes, and I just kind of see through it. Let's see if I'm right. But I'm I'm expecting Rajabov to outwork Rebeski here and pick up a victory here at 7,800. It's always a concern for me when a fire misses weight. And, I mean, it was not a huge weight miss. We're, we're talking about, you know, one and a quarter pound here. But it, it's one of those things that you always wonder is, well, what, what was the cause to not being able to make weight? Was there um, – you know, miscal- it could, could have been a miscalculation in terms of the weight cut, and it just got to a point where they couldn't cut any more weight. Or did a coach say, "Look, you're you're not going to make 156, so let's just let's just weigh in this and see what happens." Those are always, to me, the question marks uh, with that one. Next up, we got a female matchup of Jillian Robertson taking on Tabitha Ricci. Ricci is a minus 135 betting favorite. Uh, Robertson plus 115. Ricci 8300 DK, 16 dollars on Fanduel, and for Robertson 7900 DK, 15 dollars on Fanduel. And Pete, this is another fight that's a potential leverage opportunity. Yeah, I like this fight a lot. I really do like this fight. 
And, um, you know, I, I think it's an interesting fight because we got two pro prolific grapplers in Tabitha Ricci and Jillian Robertson. Ricci, more of a takedown artist, whereas Jillian Robertson, more of a submission specialist. Um, on the feet, I do favor Tabitha Ricci because I think that she's going to throw with more effectiveness. And she's not – she doesn't seem – like a fish out of the water on the feet as much as Jillian Robertson does. Robertson is obviously developed and improved, but she strikes just enough to get the fight into her wheelhouse where she attempts takedowns. She attempts back takes. She's on back-to-back -back finishing, uh, finishing performances over Maria Agapova and Piera Rodriguez. Um, I think it's pretty clear though, that you can beat Jillian Robertson with a sprawl and brawl type of approach with, uh, you know, dancing around outpointing her, Putting her on her back, you know, if you can put Jillian Robertson on her back, she loves jujitsu so much that she's going to be throwing up submission attempts constantly. Uh, but sometimes the the time is ticking off the clock, and you know, you, you know, when you're on your back in an MMA fight, for the most part, you're losing and you're losing minutes. Uh, I do favor the top position of Tabitha Ricci. I favor the takedown upside of Tabitha Ricci. I don't think that Jillian Robertson is going to knock her out. Uh, I can see Jillian Robertson getting in a good position on the ground and TKOing anybody because she has excellent ground and pound, especially now working with the Goat Shed MMA down there. Um, I think this is a great fight. I'm going to target both sides. It is women's MMA. I can't wait to watch it. But I am going to be picking Tabitha Ricci to kind of you know, avoid the danger of Jillian Robertson, pick up a decision, and I think it's going to lead to a solid score at 8,300. In the 90s is what I would project. Uh, because of the skills of Jillian Robertson getting back to her feet, could boost the totals of Tabitha Ricci. So anytime you got a fighter that's going to attempt 10-plus takedowns or or have a solid amount of control time, you have my attention. And uh, I'll be picking Tabitha Ricci here at 8,300, but get to both sides of this fight. Yeah, that was kind of my thought was like, man, I want to get both sides, and, and I like the fact of low ownership on both sides. So to me, one of those fights you got to take a little bit of a deeper dive into. Next up, you got Zumugov taking on Van. Zumugov is a 2-1 to one betting favorite, plus 170 for Van. Uh, Zumugov, 9000 on DK, $20 on FanDuel for Van, 7200 on DK, $11 on FanDuel. I'll give you a little story about Joshua Van. I interviewed him a couple years ago. I think it's the most popular interview I've uh, that has uh, trended well on Facebook for me. I, it's Really? I want to say I got like 20,000 views on Facebook. Damn. Yeah, it was, he has an incredible fan base. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I know Zulgoff uh, is your guy here, and I feel like he, he's he's chasing how many times can you retire and come out of retirement? Oh, my God. He, he is definitely not my guy, but he's a guy that I've picked a lot, and he's made me look stupid a lot. Um, yeah, Zulgoff, man, like what the hell are you doing? You got to do something for me because you're 1-5 of five in, the, in the UFC's flyweight division. Uh, you've debuted against Holly and Paiva, lost to Amir Al-Bazi. Both of those fights, okay. Picked up a nice finish over Jerome Rivera, got knocked out against Manel Kopp, and then back-to-back -back split decisions, uh, split decision defeats to Jeff Molina and Charles Johnson. This guy has skills, but I don't know what it is. As the fight goes on, he's not like ever dominating a fight. Obviously, he, he knocked out, uh, he hurt Jerome Rivera and then finished him, but like, He's never in a decisive performance. So, you know, this could be the, the fate of the week at 9000 It's a pretty big price tag. And you just see if history repeats itself and think that Joshua Van, who's talented, could possibly just do what everybody else is doing and beat uh, Zhalgas Jumagalov. To me, though, I do think that the, the pedigree of 
of opponents that Jumagulov has faced throughout his career inside the UFC, I think that it's a it's a win for him. I think he finally gets in the win column again. Uh, the issue is, if you look on paper, it's one of the ugliest 9,000 options we've had in a long time, just given his resume in the UFC. He's 1-5. Mm-hmm. But you could say that some of those fights that he lost, he, he should be – he should be probably three and two or two and three inside the octagon, but nine thousand, not really in love with that price tag. I think that he could pick up a surprising finish over Van because of the uh, vast experience difference between them. But um, yeah, Jumagulov is the pick. But as far as like score wise, I, I, I'm expecting an, a mediocre score. He he comes at one of the most interesting ownership spots though. And if he decides to go to the takedown route, possibly he just ragdolls his opponent. He did attempt 13 takedowns against Jeff Molina and 11 against Holly and Paiva. He might, he might be a sneaky, sneaky takedown guy against Joshua Van. I think he picks up a victory finally. But, yeah, I'll, I'll be getting to both sides of this fight. Uh, Eric, I see your comment. I cannot, I cannot tell you when I opened my email up when I got the office this morning, and I have an email about hot takes from fight promoters on Zuckerberg versus Musk. I'm like, why is this in my email? Why is this in my email? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, though. I mean, Zuckerberg should clearly be the favorite, and he, he actually trains, and he trains jiu-jitsu and drills MMA, but I'm not convinced that Elon Musk isn't a robot. So, I mean, you, you got to <laughs> take into account some – some robotic chips and in, in, in when you're, when you're determining these fight lines. So uh, we'll have to see. Next up, we've got our 8,000, 8,200 fight. And that is Trevor peak taking on Chepe Mariscal. Uh, Mariscal stepping up here uh, about a week's notice to get this matchup here. And uh, I, I can tell you, I know that uh, Chepe has been trying to get into the UFC for a long time. Finally got the, the call that he's been looking for here. Uh, Trevor peak is the betting favorite minus 120 plus 100 for Chepe uh, peak a 200 on DK $16 on FanDuel. Chepe is 8,000 on DK $15 on FanDuel. Pete. And I think I might give you a little surprise that you may not think here. I have three prize picks plays that I really like this week. Over four and a half fight time minutes on Trevor Peak. Interesting. Yeah, that's, you're going to be sitting there like biting your fingernails to the bone. So it's it's an interesting fight, right? And I think it's a gift. It's clearly a gift. Last week was a gift. The 8,200, 8,000 fight was a five-round fight. Um, This is a gift as well, given the volatility on both sides. We have Trevor Peak who throws absolute hammers on the feet. One of the worst fighters I've ever seen inside the UFC octagon. I got to tell you, he's horrible. Uh, but what he does possess is, is power. Uh, Chepe Mariscal on the opposite side uh, possesses a well-rounded skill set, fighting on a team elevation, uh, can go to the takedown route, probably has a better ground game than Trevor Peak. And if he's smart, that's what he's looking to exploit here. The issue with Mariscal is he's been knocked out by less by, I shouldn't say lesser opposition, by similar fighters that of Trevor Peak. So he needs to avoid danger at all costs, and I don't necessarily trust him to do so. Um, I don't really hold a lot of value in the fact that Trevor Peak has already performed in the octagon. Uh, every performance of his is ugly. Um, he throws 100% power, zero technique. Uh, he's a coach's nightmare, but he does have heart, and he is going to keep fighting, and he scored massively uh, with 130 in his debut against Eric Gonzalez. Um I'm not going to lock Trevor Peak in. I'm not. And, and you know what I mean? Where I feel like a lot of people are just automatically assuming he's knocking out Chepe Mariscal because Mariscal has been knocked out in the past. History is going to repeat itself, yada, yada. 
I just don't trust Peak's cardio to a point, and I actually think that Mariscal is probably the better ground fighter of the two. And if he goes out there with a smart team elevation type of game plan, I, I think that he can win this fight. I really do. So I think it's a gift. I'm going to get 50-50 exposure to both guys just because I think it's imp- almost impossible this doesn't score well. Uh, one way or another, You're instead of having 100% Trevor Peak, this could be the spot where he lets everybody down. Just saying because like – he needs to go up against guys that are going to take him down and then he's going to get exposed um, or knocked out in his own right. Mar- is Mariscal the guy? I'm not convinced. I'm going to go 50-50 with it. I'll lean towards the guy with the grappling edge and Chepe Mariscal. Zero faith. Just target the fight and uh, move on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the things, and I've known Chepe now for, for a couple of years, and you know there is different philosophies on how coaches, managers, fighters will – work their fighter the way up. Chepe has been very much of the, I'm going to take on the toughest competition anytime, anyplace, anywhere. When you go and you look at the names that Chepe has fought, I mean, just look at who he's lost to in his career. Gregor Gillespie, Bryce Mitchell, Joe Anderson Brito, Steve Garcia, uh, Sean Soriano, obviously a name. but And and that, to me, has been always the thing about Chepe, and and that's why it's kind of really taken him a little bit. But this is one of those guys that he's not trying – he wasn't trying to pad his record, you know, and and we've seen that. I mean, you you look at Bondar, you know, a guy that we had high praise on, but, you know, you said, hey, look at the – the questionable strength of schedule, but Chepe is one of those guys, and yeah, it's a fight you have to target, um, and, and I expect it to be a highly owned matchup. Next up, we got Jamal Emmers taking on Jack Jenkins. Jamal Emmers is a minus two ten bet, betting favorite, plus one seventy five for Jack Jenkins. Emmers eighty six hundred on DK, nineteen dollars on Fanduel. Jenkins is seventy six hundred on DK and ten dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, I'm interested in this fight, and uh, the reason I'm interested in this fight is because um, Emmers had to cut his hair to make weight. And it's not like he had Daniel Strauss type of hair. You know what I mean? He he had minimal hair. Um, so it, it does seem like desperate. You know what I mean? Like whenever I see a guy unwilling to go back into the sauna and he's just like, all right, just shave my head. Just do anything. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I mean, we don't want to cut weight to begin with and never mind have to go back and continue to cut weight. So it could be due to a miscalculation, whatever, what have you. I'm picking uh, Jack Jenkins here. Now, I, I don't necessarily think that you know this is going to be a ground fight. I think we're going to see both of them willing to engage on the feet. Jack Jenkins, in his Dana White Contender Series fight, you saw him lean on his takedowns, landed four, um, landed four against Don Chanis as well in a in a 15 minute decision, scored 97. The one difference here, I think it's close on the feet. I think Emmers probably has the better hands. But I'm going to be siding with a calf kicker all day long. Calf kickers, when they know how to calf kick well, they change the game. And one calf kick can just result in a fight-ending sequence. And Jack Jenkins has broken I don't know how many legs of his opponents. I'm going to be leaning with 7,600 Jack Jenkins. I, I think that he knows he needs to defend takedowns here. Um, you know, it wasn't the best performance against Don Chanis, but Don Chanis does possess strong grappling. At Jenkins is is going to be an underdog I'm going to be aggressive with. Jamal Emers can clearly put together a strong performance. I mean, he did only score 71 against Kusain Ashkabov. He attempted three takedowns, scored, landed one, defended six. Um, but it's the fight against Vince Cachero. I know that was on relative short notice for Cachero, but scored 108. 
Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I understand the skills that Jamal Emmers has. He has good power, good striking, well-rounded. But I'm going to be signing with the calf kicker here in Jack Jenkins at 7,600. Jenkins was one of those guys that stuck out to me as, as an underdog play this week as I was like, you know, who, who do I have the most faith in? And, of course, our first fight of the night, and you know I, I really hate roster the first fight of the night, but uh, I think it's a fight that we have to roster. We got Brunch taking on Dumas. Brunch, a minus 180 betting fair, plus 155 for Dumas. Brunch, A700 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. Dumas, 7500 on DK, $11 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I think Dumas is one of the, in the most interesting spots as an underdog here. And, you know, recency bias is a real thing. And it's something that you have to evaluate going into each fight card, into every time you put a bet down, every every time you create a lineup. Are you really siding with recency bias too much? And can you just see fights for what they are? I view this as a volatile matchup. Do I trust Cody Brundage? No, I don't. Do I think he's gotten so much better than I give, I've given him credit for? Yes, I do. Uh, losing his quick, no, uh, short notice debut to Nick Maximov, okay, no problem. Dalton Luka Bula and Treshawn Gore finishes in round one are very interesting. Um, the Dalton Luka Bula one, he took everything but the kitchen sink and then ended up pulling off a nice submission in round one, so showed good toughness. Treshawn Gore, he scored 114 points, landed a great shot, and then ultimately you know, followed through with ground and pound. Uh, Lost back-to-back finishes to Mikhail Olashechuk and Rodolfo Vieira. You know, the Olashechuk, Olashechuk's tough, and he bullies everybody inside the octagon, or at least tries to. Rodolfo Vieira is just one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners inside the UFC. Price tag on Brundage is a little rich. It is a little rich. I I was expecting like 8,400. I just think in general, he should be the better fighter of of the two. I uh, just don't trust the durability or the cardio for Brundage, and I don't trust a lot of things for Cedricus Dumas. Uh, he looked like an absolute amateur against Josh Fremd. Fremd looked like he was, you know, just so strong in the matchup and, and a step ahead everywhere, and it, it just, you know, his experience shined through. I think we're going to see the same thing happen again here. I think Cody Brundage, his experience, his just athleticism and skills in every. At, you know, facet of the game are going to shine through. I think he's going to pick up a submission over uh, Cedricus Dumas, but I think it's one where you're going to be a little worried because Cedricus Dumas throws good straight punches and has a good guillotine. And I could see Brundage falling victim to a guillotine, to be honest. But uh, outside of that, I'm going to just target the fight. So I'm siding with Brundage. I think that he's if he gets on top, he's just going to be too much for Cedricus Dumas, who hasn't shown me much off of his back. Give me Brunage at 8700 Don't like the price tag. I love the fight, though, and I agree with you that the fight's going to score well. I mean, look, I, I, I don't feel comfortable uh, on really either side of this equation because, yeah. you know, the, when, I, when I look at concerns I have for Cody Brunage, I think cardio and I think questionable decision-making that, that he's made in fights. And so, I mean, but you're going to have to get there. Let's get into our straight-up fight picks on this one. Main event, give me Ilya Taporia. Taporia. Uh, I would go Manahibas. Uh, Manahibas for me as well. Uh, Tafa. I'm going to go with uh, Austin Lane. Give me uh, Santos. Santos. Allen. Brandon Allen. I'm going to go with my first underdog in Phil Rowe. Yeah, I'm going Neil Magny, but I'm rooting for Rowe. Uh, Randy Brown. Randy Brown. Uh, I'm going to go Rebecca. I'm going to go the opposite of that and go with Rajabov. Don't feel good about going underdog number two here, but I'm going to go there. Julian Robertson. Okay, I'm going Ricci. Uh, Zumogulov. Yeah, Zumogulov. 
peak, but I'm concerned. Come on, Mariscal. Give, give me uh, underdog number three, Jenkins. Yeah, Jack uh, Jenkins. And I'll go with Brunage in the opening fight. Brunage for me as well. Uh, let's get some uh, score questions in that came here uh, before the show. Uh, first up, value underneath 8K. Um, to me, I would I would probably look at Jack Jenkins as probably the best one for me at least. Yeah, I like Jack Jenkins a lot. I think anybody at the top 7,000 range this week is very, very interesting. I don't think the dumpster diving. So you can make an argument for Jenkins, Rowe, Rajabov, Robertson, but it's Jenkins and Rajabov for me. Uh, over, under on finishes, six and a half. I will go over that number. Over that. Um, the captain contest, uh, Gabriel Santos, to me, is, is someone that would really stick out to me because of that takedown upside. I'm with you on that. Uh, leverage spots. Um, I think you got to look at the co-main event. I think you also need to look at the uh, the other one would be the Robertson Ricci fight. Would be the two fights if you're looking for leverage to where to go to. Yeah, good. I'm with you, and I also think like just you know Austin Lane in general getting no love. Yeah, I mean, and uh, some core plays for me would probably be uh, Gabriel Santos and. Uh, Probably Taporia would be number two. Yeah, I, I like both of them. Taporia is a great play. Santos a great play. Brennan Allen. Outside of that, you're just you know you're targeting some under own nine thousand options that could be just leverage plays. To me, dart throws. Um, just looking at ownership. To me, I would be looking at Austin Lane and, and uh, Dumas. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm. I think anything below that's ugly this week. Yeah, uh, to, to get some uh, other questions in here, Spencer says, who's your favorite MVP and cheap play on FanDuel? In terms of MVP, um, I mean, people are going to get to Taporia, which is very understanding. Um, I, I like Santos. Um, and then I would probably say you, you got to look at that first five of the night. You really do, because I think it's a high probability that someone's getting finished in that one. I'm with you. And just kind of, I meant to say this earlier, to a quick note on Mariscal, the reason I'm picking him is, he has two victories over fighters that I think are pretty well-rounded, and Pat Sabatini and uh, Yusuf Zalal. So I'm like, you had to do something right in those matchups. Yeah, and a cheap play on, on FanDuel, I think you got to look at Dumas just because of the high upside there. Uh, Noah says, question for the show, best PFL parlay and best prop bet for the UFC. Uh, best prop bet is Noah for the UFC. I'd be looking at that heavyweight matchup of Lane and um and uh, Tafa of uh, fight ends in round one. Maybe just take the under one and a half for one of the fighters to win there. Um, I'll be honest with you, I really have not much looked much into the PFL event. Yeah, I mean, it would just be massive favorites. I mean, it would be like Sadabu C, Shane Burgos, Magomed, Marikar- uh, Magomed Karimov. Those three together still is like minus 250. But those are all three fighters I have a ton of faith in. And if you have a large bankroll just put that on all three of those fighters because i'm expecting c burgos and magomed karamov to win yeah yeah it's uh you know i i, I did find it interesting i was watching the nba draft there was a lot of advertisers for the pfl show last night yeah. so good for the pfl and hopefully they can do well tonight on television of course that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the fight hq podcast of course we appreciate everyone tuning in of course be sure to join our discord channel totally free to join also we got that draft king contest and uh, if you can subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed really do appreciate that hit that thumbs up button as of course we're here every friday of a ufc fight week which means i think we're here for like the next 11 straight weeks or something along those lines yeah. 
Oh, it's gonna be it's a grind man it's a grind and listen guys we really appreciate it if you can hit that like button get us over 100 likes get us to a thousand subscribers and uh you know it, we really appreciate you and the channel and the community's growing and let's keep winning together and that is going to do it for this episode of the fight hq podcast of course if you ever want to check the show out on the podcast platforms it's available over there as well we will talk to you next week as we'll get you ready for next week's ufc fight night card